This morning's scripture reading is from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. That can be found on page 986 in the Pewback Bibles in front of you. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. Well, I want to say happy belated Merry Christmas. If I didn't see you guys, we were out in Houston, Texas uh, with family and friends. It was our first time back in Houston in three years, so we were happy to be there. Hey, if we have not met, my name is Howard Peñate. I am the uh, pastor church planner of One City Church, which we planted about 12 weeks ago. And the Lord has given us the opportunity to, to grow and thrive here in King's Cross Church for the last two years uh, under Pastor Orion and Trevor and Pastor Will. It has been an honor to be able to serve alongside you guys and to co-labor with you. And so when I was asked to come and preach the word this week, the last week of the season, man, my heart was filled with great joy because we love seeing y'all. You guys are our church family, but more than that, you guys have been with us through a lot of this last past two years, so much stuff. But man, God is so faithful. Uh, but before we begin, I want to share a story. Uh, last night, me and my wife and my daughter uh, we, we decided to go look at a house in Kansas City because we're at the point where we decided to put some roots in Kansas City and actually buy a house. Uh, we don't know how we'll buy a house, but we know the Lord will provide for us to buy a house. And so we went to go look at this house. And little did we know, this house was built in 1890. In the history of this place, it's 1121 Myrtle Street or Myrtle Avenue. The history of this place... It went from being a place called the Door of Hope for battered women. It became a ministry later on to reach people in the community. And lastly, it was used to reach the people in the community by teaching them how to farm. The people who owned this house were believers, and they wanted to teach people how to farm where they live, but their heart was that they would know Jesus and the gospel. These people lived out incarnational ministry. And today, as we read 1 Thessalonians, my aim and my hope is that we would be moved by the Spirit of God to see what it looks like to live incarnationally. And I'll define that for us here in a bit. But would you join me as we pray and ask the Lord to help guide our time? 
So gracious Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. We are so thankful, Lord, that we're able to have this opportunity, Lord, to gather as a family, to gather as one people, with one voice, with one heart this morning, to come to you. It's the last day of the year. We could be in many places, but we're here today. We're here today because we want to honor you. We want to seek your face. We want to seek your will for our lives. And Lord, like Pastor Trevor said, there are, there are some of us who are coming in this room with things that we've been carrying from Christmas, even from loss and hurt, to even moments of joy and celebration, Lord, and we're tired from hosting and from uh, uh, being hosts. Would you just, Lord, give us rest to our souls and quiet the places of our hearts that are loud? And as we go through your word today, Lord, would you meet us in a supernatural way through your Holy Spirit? We need you, Father. We need you. And we are thankful that we can come to you with our requests. For we know they are heard and they are answered according to your will. We pray these things in Jesus' holy, mighty name. And God's people said, amen. What we see here in 1 Thessalonians is that Paul is, he's exhorting and encouraging the Christians from, from Thessalonia. He's encouraging them and reminding them the work of God's grace that's taken place already. And what we find here, he's not only encouraged them, he's reaffirming the call that God placed on their life. He reminds them of the electing power of God to save people and set them apart in chapter 1. And he, he right here now in chapter 2, well, he's reminded, he's reminded and recalling when he came to them. Listen to what the text says, verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but though that we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know. But we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much affliction or conflict. So Paul here is reminded of when he came to them. So before he came to them, they had casted out a demon out of a girl in Acts chapter 16. And what happened was they got mad that he casted out that demon. And the magistrates, the rulers, and the authorities, and this crowd, they come to Paul and Silas, and they strip them, and they beat them. They strip them, and they beat them. They, sh they, they, they publicly shamed them because they did something good. But they didn't see it as good. They not only beat them, but they imprisoned them. They imprisoned them to the point to where they're just locked up and they're shamefully disgraced in front of all these people. And Paul's recalling his account. But notice that Paul says that he came to them with boldness. He wasn't visiting Thessalonica for the sights and the sounds and the entertainment. He came with a purpose and a reason. He came to bring the gospel message to these people that did not know Jesus. And we can see the effects of the ministry of Paul, of them preaching and teaching the gospel. Look at chapter 1, verse 9. 
It says, For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. I ask myself this question as I read this text. What would lead Paul and Silas and Timothy and these men to continue to preach and teach this gospel message? What would lead them to continue to do it in the face of opposition? It's, it, it just it, it blows my mind away. But at the same time, it shows us their commitment to the call. They were submitted to the call on their lives to proclaim the gospel. They were filled with the Spirit of God to continue to preach and teach about Jesus. They brought the message of reconciliation and hope. They taught the deliverance from the wrath of God. And they did that in the face of opposition from local leaders, from politicians, and from the people they came to rescue. The same people they came to help were the same people that wanted them dead. Can you imagine that? I was watching something the other day, you know, those, those, when they do like those spoofs of like a courtroom situation, it's really exaggerated. And this lady was suing this guy because he performed the Heimlich, the Heimlich maneuver on her and he broke her ribs in the process. And she's suing him for the broken ribs. And she's like, well, he broke my ribs when he was trying to save my life. And the judge is like, had he not done that, you would have died. You should have been more grateful. Paul is bringing the Heimlich maneuver to these people's souls. He's trying to help them. And their response is they want him dead. They want him dead. They want to beat him and mistreat him. And he continues to press and lean into his call. That is a man that does not trust in himself. That is a man who leans into the call. That is a man who entrusts himself to the call of God. Paul was told he would suffer greatly for the name of Jesus. And that's what we see is Paul suffering. But why would Paul suffer? Well, I'm glad you asked. Look at verse 4 in chapter 2. But just as we've been approved by God, first Paul reminds the Thessalonians that God is the one who sent him. He's approved by God. For what? To be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak. Paul knew that this message he carried wasn't just some average random message. It wasn't centered on man. It wasn't centered on flattery. It wasn't centered on prosperity. It wasn't, it wasn't centered on just raising up and elevating people. It was centered on someone. It was about a person. It was about, upon Christ. He tells them, hey, we never came to you with flattery, verse 5. As you know, nor with pretext for greed. 
God is witness. Nor do we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Paul was entrusted with this message. He's so entrusted with this message, it burns in his bones and the desires of his soul to preach this message that 1 Corinthians 9, 16, he would say something along the lines of, woe to me if I do not preach the gospel. He also says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says, this is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mysteries of God. Paul was burdened to carry out the deliverance of this message, even at the cost of his life. The message of the gospel is a life-giving message. Remind yourselves when you first heard the gospel and God did a work in your life and you were broken by the Spirit of God and you understood for the first time your need of the grace of God. You understood the depths of your brokenness. You were on your face on the ground crying and weeping. Do you remember a moment like that? Or maybe it was just a realization of you really need the mercy of God. Do you recall when grace was tasted on your soul and it quenched your soul like you've never been quenched before? You felt relieved. You felt change in your life. That is, and I'm not talking about just the experience, but I'm talking about the reality of what the gospel does. It transforms us. And Paul's carrying this message of reconciliation, of hope, of redemption, of restoration to a broken lost people who are Gentiles, who've been outcasts their whole lives, mistreated by Jewish people. He comes to them proclaiming this message of peace, the peace of God. See, family and friends, just as Paul was entrusted with that message, I pray that we too would be reminded today that we too have been entrusted with the very message of the gospel. See, every believer, every follower of Christ has been entrusted with this precious message. It is not fragile. It is the living word of God that transforms the heart, the mind, the soul, and it penetrates to the bone and the marrow and the spirit. It transforms. It is the living word of God, and we have this message that's been entrusted to you and I. We don't go in the boldness of our strength. We go in the boldness of Christ in us. We go in the prophetic call when he said, go and make disciples, teaching them to obey and everything that I've commanded. We go in that prophetic call. We go empowered by the spirit of God. We have been empowered and entrusted. We have boldness to speak and declare the gospel. Even when we face opposition. See, we, we can look quickly at our lives and the people around us Work is an example. Who are the people that oppose the message of the gospel around you? 
Who are the people in your life that don't want to hear anything about Christianity? Who are the people that hate, hate religion? Can I tell y'all something? The power of the gospel that Paul preached, that Peter preached, that John preached, the power of the gospel is able to transform the hardest heart. In our city group, we're going through the the, the book of Acts, and in Acts chapter 3, might be 6, 6, what you see is the priest come to faith. The same priest who condemned Jesus. As they heard the gospel preached, their lives are being transformed. The same enemies of the cross. Let me say it like this. I grew up in an era and time when I watched a lot of uh, tattoo shows. And there was this one person on, she had her own show. It was called Kat Von D. Y'all might have heard of her. And Kat Von D was this satanic worshiper. And through a series of events, by the power of the gospel, the Lord transforms her life. She was once an enemy of the cross. She stood against Christianity. She stood against everything that Christians believed. But then God transformed her life. And she began to burn her satanic books. It's a reminder of what they do in Acts. Family, listen to me. We should not grow weary when we preach the gospel, when we teach the gospel. We don't know how long the effects will take. We are not responsible for the growth. We've just been entrusted to give the message. God is, God is responsible for the results. That should liberate your heart and my heart. It should lead you to be praiseful and thankful to God that it does not depend upon you. Because if it did, it would just puff us up. If we're going to live missionally, we must know that we have to embody the gospel. That's something that Paul shows us. Look at verse 7. Look at how he treats and communicates his care and his love. Verse 7 of chapter 2. He says, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Now let me stop there. Me and my wife had three kids. And there's something special about watching a mom care for a child. She's so gentle, she's so kind, she's slow to react. But the way she takes care of this child is with with such gentle, patient care. Look at the imagery that's being communicated, how Paul lived among the people. He is literally living out the fruit of the spirit of gentleness. And he's reminding them, I was gentle among you. taking care of her own children. Listen, verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Look at how Paul 
speaks about the way he was willing not just to share the gospel message, but he was willing to share his own self. The definition I want to give you is this is what we would call incarnational ministry. I've got a definition for you. Incarnational ministry can be defined as this. It's embodying the new life we live in Christ and living it out wherever we go. Or another translation, we have to be about that life, the new life in Jesus. See, the reality is that Paul is incarnating what he's, what he's believed about the gospel. He's living it out as he goes. He's showing them it's more than just the words that we share. The, listen to me. Do not take what I'm saying as the gospel is not enough. The gospel is a power to transform people. What I'm saying is that he was so transformed by the gospel, there was an outward expression of that reality. That's what I'm saying. Just so we're clear. I don't want you to walk away from here saying that the gospel wasn't enough. The gospel is enough. Amen? Amen. So what we have here is that Paul is concerned. He cares for the people. He goes to the people. He gives his life to the people. He treats them with gentleness and kindness like a nursing mother. I'm going to tell you the importance of living out an incarnational life. And what we see, how this is connected. Because Jesus came and was incarnated, because he came in the flesh, Paul believed and met Jesus. He experienced Jesus. Now listen to this. The incarnation of Jesus is rooted in the gospel. For you cannot have the fully lived out gospel apart from the incarnation of Jesus. Without the incarnation, there would be no perfect life of obedience for us, given to us. We would not have a high priest that could sympathize with us. Without the incarnation, we would not have the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Without the incarnation, we would still be in our sins. Without the incarnation, we would not have the risen Savior from the dead who resurrected. That would have never happened. Without the resurrection, we would still be enslaved to death and the works of Satan. We would still remain dead in our sins without the incarnation. But praise be to the Lord that Jesus took on flesh and he lived and he dwelt among us. He came to this earth. He lived among us. He grew in stature. He wasn't just some being that spoke from a voice from on high. He was a real person. Flesh and blood. He lived his life living out the kingdom to come. He proclaimed the kingdom and repentance. Not only did he preach, but he reached. He came to the lame, the forgotten, the outcast, the hated, the despised, the sick, the social outcast. He came to rulers, authorities, teachers, everyday people, 
Women who were stuck in shame, men who were stuck in brokenness, lepers who were outcasted. He came to the very world that was in shattered brokenness, and he came to set them free. He came. He purchased the freedom for those who hated him. He purchased freedom for those who despised him. He went for the least and forgotten. Family, can I tell you about my Savior? Can I tell you about the Jesus that we read about and, and, and Paul is impacted by for him to be so desirous of them, to care for so much of them, to be so impacted by the gospel that he has to live it out? Let me tell you about my Savior. He came to restore you and I into a holy relationship with God the Father. Can I tell you about my Savior? Because he came to give us a holy union, but not just that, our Savior came to defeat death, destroy the works of Satan. Can I tell you about my Savior? Because he came to die for your sins. He came to give you mercy and grace. He came to restore you. He came for you, knowing the things that you would do, how you would turn your back, how you would fall in that same cycle of sin, how you would not love well your spouse or others. He came for your selfish heart and mine. The gospel reminds us that we are needy people and that we have a savior who knows our needs. He knows our frail humanity, and yet he gives us mercy. He gives us forgiveness, not just one time, not just multiple times, but his mercies are new every day. That doesn't give us a license to do whatever we want to do. It's just a reminder of the grace of God that is present, a grace and a reality that impacted the life of Paul for him to live out this reality to the people he was reaching. The incarnation changes everything, and incarnational ministry changes the way we approach people. See, my hope and aim for 2024 I always got to make sure I don't say 2023. You know how you write it down the last year for a while? My aim for us, my hope for us, is that, that not only would we live differently, but that we would see and hear this message today, not of, oh, he said we have to be more missional. Listen to me. You can be missional all day long and go to people, but if you don't embody Jesus where you go, They'll just hear somebody speak with no actions. What I'm saying is that we have to be a people in 2024. If we want to affect the communities and our neighbors and our city with the gospel, we have to be willing to go to the people with the posture of submitting to the king, Jesus, and a posture of humility, of being learners, 
I'm meeting people in that community and showing them Christ. Show them the love of Christ. Show them the gentleness of Christ. Show them the kindness of Christ. Show them the patience of Christ. Show them Christ. They need more Jesus. They need more of him. Paul recognized that. He recognized that he was a slave to Christ. He recognized that he didn't have the power to save people, but only the gospel message could transform and change the people. That's why he brought the message. But notice, he shares his life in the process. What would it look like for you in 2024 to share your life? What would it look like to share your life with not only your neighbor, but with your community? To be part of something. So people may see your good works and give glory to the Father. What would it look like to be the lived out expression of the gospel where you go? As we seek the good for this city with the gospel in 2024, let us be reminded, family, that we don't go in our own strength, in our own power, but as we read right here, Paul goes emboldened by the gospel because he's been entrusted with something. You have a message. Don't let fear keep you. You don't need to know the five points of Calvinism. You don't need to know the, land, the, the, the London Baptist Confessions of Faith. You don't need to know every creed. You don't need to read every book on apologetics. You have the Holy Spirit of God who lives and reigns in your life. You have the Spirit of God who testifies and bears witness when you don't know what to say. There have been so many times that I can testify that I've seen God show up in miraculous ways. I would bore you to death, and it would sound so self-centered if I focused on all my stories. At the end of the day, God meets people in unique ways. And what all I'm saying is this year, what would it look like if we stepped out in faith, knowing that we've got the bold power of the Spirit in us, that we have a message, and that we can live out the gospel where we go, what would it look like this year to reach that neighbor that does not like you? To reach that coworker that hates Christians? If you hear this message today and you think that you have to do more or something that, that you have to put on yourself, don't hear that. Hear the message of the Savior. It is finished. It's done. You don't have to do anything. But the reason why we go and do these things is because what he's done for us. I'm not asking you to sacrifice to do this. I think we hear that too much in Christianity, that we have to sacrifice and be missional. I really believe what it is is that what we see even in Paul's life in this text He submitted to the call. 
He submitted to his king. In 2024, would you submit to your king Jesus? Not to king I myself. We're good at choosing that king. Or am I the only one that chooses that king? We have to dethrone that person. The person who should sit on the throne of our hearts is King Jesus. No one else. No one else can help us. So I have three ways that we can approach this this season. Number one is our posture. We have to have the posture in our hearts to build with relationships. We are trying to build relationships with people in 2024. We're not trying to convert people. Some of y'all just got triggered by me saying that. You can't convert nobody. If you're married, you know you can't even change your own spouse. Amen? We tried. I know I tried. Right, baby? We tried too? Yeah, we tried too. Amen. Been married 17 years. It don't work. For y'all newly married, it don't work, I promise. We can't change nobody. The Spirit of God can. Let's entrust the work to the Spirit. Let's build relationships just to build relationships with people. That's it. Let's get to know them. People are not projects. In many ways, people are like plants. They grow and they develop depending on the circumstance and care or mistreatment they've had. We must be patient, like a patient farmer, planting the seed of the gospel. A good farmer knows when to plant and when to water. A farmer knows that the growth only comes from God. Our efforts of building relationships with people will take time. We'll have to build trust. And more importantly, we have to build presence. We have to be where the people are at. We have to go physically where the people are at. We can't stay in our castle thinking that people will come to us. We must go for the kingdom of God in faith and in power, emboldened, entrusted with this message. We go that way. I want to I ask you to identify the areas of your life where you come into, into contact with people consistently. That's a mission field. I'm going to tell you one of, my, one of my recent adventures, and I'm going to put myself on, on blast. That means I'm going to expose myself. That's what that means. So I have this thing that I love to do. It's one of my hobbies. And it's actually playing Call of Duty. Some of y'all may know what that is. Some of y'all don't know what that is at all. It's a video game. And it's one of my hobbies. I enjoy it thoroughly. And I will say this. I'm not endorsing it. I'm just saying that's my outlet. Some people play basketball. Some people play foosball. Some people play, what's that, chicken and pickle? What's that, what's that called? Whiffle, what, what's it called? Pickleball, yeah, see? I don't even know what it's called. Play pickleball. I don't play pickleball. The Lord didn't create me for sports, I get that. That's all right. But one of these areas of my own life that God has surrounded me with, 
being able to communicate with people online with the headset. There was an event. I met this couple online. And as I was playing with this couple online, we played for several months. And it came to a point one day the husband wasn't on. And I'm like, hey, where's your husband at? And she's like, well, he went to the uh, urgent care, not to the ER, the urgent care. And, and he was having stomach pains. He probably ate something, had a stomach bug. And I'm like, okay, cool. You know, we'll just, you know, pray for him. I'm dropping gospel truths here and there in our conversation. Later on, as we're playing, she gets a call from him. And they tell him that his, his uh, appendix bursts and he needs to get it removed. So she starts freaking out on the game. And I'm like, hey, listen, let's stop what we're doing right now and let's just pray. So we prayed, the spirit of God moved, and I didn't hear from them for several days. Two, three days later, the husband calls me. He's weeping, he's emotional. They're actually watching online today. So, hey guys. Um, and, and he started thanking me for praying with his wife and for them. Through another series of events that they had, me and my wife, we stepped in and began to help them with the situation they were working through. Through that, they say to me and my wife, hey, what would it look like if we actually came up, they, they actually live in Oklahoma. What would it look like if we came up from Oklahoma to come visit you guys? And I said, man, well, if you guys come up, you know, we'll host y'all, get to spend time with y'all. And so we spent the next four days together. They came up. And through that process, we've been building relationships. We've been able, I've been able to share the gospel with them, with her and her husband. And more importantly, they actually joined us online on our Wednesday night gatherings for our city groups. That's the place that God met them at. That's an everyday place. I was being my, I'm a very competitive gamer. Like you see LeBron James, I'm not saying I'm LeBron James of gaming, but I'm just saying he's competitive, I'm competitive. And that's how they met me, being competitive. What would it look like in your life? Who are the people in the places that you play? And what would it look like giving gospel truth to people? Consider that, pursue them, Give your time, build trust, and create presence. Those three things, time, trust, and presence. If you can remember anything, take that with you. That's it. Let's pray. Father, Abba, Father. We thank you. We thank you for your word that transforms, that convicts, that refreshes us, that restores us. Lord, thank you for your spirit that testifies of who we are in you. That we have you. That you live in us. We're not the same people we used to be. You truly change our hearts and minds. 
And Lord, your grace just seems to capture our hearts over and over and over again. Lord, would you lead us never to grow weary or dull or tired of feeling and experience that reality and knowing that reality? Even when we don't feel it, will we know that reality that we are yours? Lord, there are many in this room who know you and who call you Abba, Father. And there's some, Father, in this room that don't know you that way. Actually, there are some in this room who have never experienced the freedom and the forgiveness of sins. There are some in this room that feel so encaged and and imprisoned to their own self-destruction and sin that they don't feel any hope at all. They feel alone. So Holy Spirit, would you minister to them? Would you, would you let them know, Lord, that today they can be set free? They can know what it means to, to be forgiven of all their sin. Would, would they know that there is a living relationship truly with you, Lord? Would they experience freedom, healing, and restoration? Father, we need you today. The people need you. Be with us, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name.